0: I'd like us to turn once again to Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13 and reading at verse 1. That same day Jesus went out <laughs> of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow especially those words there in verse 2 or verse 3 a sower went out to sow The Bible was really a storybook. Many of you, no doubt, as when you were young, read the Story Bible and received your instructions by that and were trained up in the faith and in the belief of the Lord Jesus Christ by reading such books. But the Bible as a whole is a storybook. It's a story about what God planned to do with his creation and how he planned to achieve that particular plan. And although the Lord is a storyteller, he's much more than a storyteller. His words and his teachings are unique in the history of the whole world. The thoughts and the ideas that he propagated and and gave to the people of his day still are viewed with wonder at his insights and his knowledge into the human frame and the human mind. He talks in his parables about camels trying to squeeze through the eye of a needle. He talks about people trying to reduce or remove the speck from uh, another person's eye well, they've got a plank in their own. And so they are larger than life stories whereby he tries to impress simple truths into the understanding of those who are listening to him. And so the Gospels are full of the parables of Jesus, the prodigal son. We have also the tax collector and the Pharisee, parable of the good Samaritan, of the rich fool, of rich man and Lazarus. Again and again, he teaches the people and teaches us 2,000 years later by means of the parables that he is declaring. And they are all parables which speak of the kingdom of God or the, the origin of the kingdom of God or even the the blessings of the kingdom the instruction of the kingdom all in all there are something between 20 and 30 parables that we hear spoken of by the Lord Jesus Christ even in just this one particular gospel parables are real life stories with a spiritual aspect to them remember the way we used to be told parables are life stories with he- ordinary stories with heavenly meanings but there're also two other types of stories which have particular emphasis to them for those of you who are slightly older you would remember Aesop's fables one of the most famous ones that people remember is the tortoise and the hare. And these are, are not real life stories at all. We, we are told that uh, here we have hares and tortoises engaged in a race. Other times we're, we're told about farmers and a crane. I think I told you that the last time I was here, about Eshop and and the parable of the of the the farmer and the birds who were stealing the seed from the field. And also there are allegories. Many of you will know Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and others of you no doubt more recently would have read C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. And so we have all these different types of literature which are all involved in telling a story. It is only the parables which are engaged in trying to impart something more than a mere story to us. It's trying to impart to us a lesson concerning the kingdom of God. And we have here in this particular parable the origin of that kingdom. In this gospel, as I've said before here, we have to reach parable 13 before we become the very first parable. And then in this in this particular chapter there are seven parables all together, all teaching this same truth. They are parables concerning the kingdom of God. They are kingdom parables. A sower went out to sow. That's what we told. Really, it's not a parable about seeds, it's a parable about soil. Now the Lord himself in the explanation of it from verse 18 to 23 tells us that the seed is the gospel. The seed is the good news that is being spread abroad, which is being sowed into the hearts and minds of those who hear it and the soil is the human heart soil which either brings forth fruit hundredfold or sixty or thirtyfold and so the parable is really about the type of soil into which the seed falls the seed is always good seed the seed is always the the good gospel the lord jesus christ is declaring during his time here on earth in which we as the preachers of the gospel continue to declare It's a good seed. It's a good word. It's the heart that needs to be renewed. It's a heart that has to be renewed from the outside. The power to believe is not something that's innate in us. It's something that has to be done to us. Remember when Peter makes the proclamation, Who do men say that I am? Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christ says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, something that's given to us. And so the way the soil is improved is the miracle of the Father. He takes the soil of our stony hearts and hardened hearts and makes it into fertile soil, whereby His truth can take root and bring forth much fruit uh, to God's praise and God's glory and so the first thing the Lord tells us here as he sowed some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them it speaks of a heart that's been hardened by life and the world in which that life has been led and the practices which that life is engaged in enjoy the short time we've been given to live here in in this world. It's a soil or a heart that's been trodden down by ill use over many years, and where we've gone, the books, we've read the programmes, we've watched, the newspapers we pick up, all tending to turn our hearts and our minds and our thoughts away from the gospel into the world in which we live. And we become fashioned by what we read and what we think and and what we watch to be like the world in which we live. And the parables are meant to give us a different view, to give us a different idea of the culture into which we've been brought. Christian life is sometimes designated as a counterculture culture that's different to the world in which we live. A culture which different to the worldly society which we are surrounded with. Commercialism and, and all the other aspects that engage us and want to sweep us away. Now because the heart has been hardened by the life we've been living the gospel seed is finds it very difficult to permeate the hardness of our hearts. You know what a calloused hand is or a calloused foot is it's very hard. Someone who's been working very hard with their hands or someone who walks long distances, their feet get very calloused. And it's very difficult even for a needle to cause any pain because there's so much Hardness of skin there, the same thing applies to our hearts. Our hearts become calloused. The most sensitive aspects of life sometimes don't permeate that skin and we are left untouched by the tragedies or the, the joys of life. And and that's what the Lord here is saying. You have a heart that's hardened. It's calloused. And the seed that, that I'm trying to plant there in that heart will not sink in because of the hardness of your heart. The Lord here who draws an analogy between the birds of the air and and the devil's workers says the birds soon come and devour it. They, They pluck it up. The birds came and devoured them. But what is it that makes a human heart so hard? Well, sin does. Sin hardens the heart. The more we engage in sin, the more the conscience is blunted or seared. And so we don't see any danger in the sin and we engage in it more and more. We read what Romans 1 had to say about a hard heart. It holds down the truth in unrighteousness. It actually suppresses it more and more. We know when the rich ruler comes to the Lord and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The first thing the Lord Jesus Christ says, you know, keep the commandments. And here, the Lord is saying it in a very similar way. You know believe in the Lord Jesus Christ then you will be saved that's the gospel you know that truth and yet you hold down that truth you suppress it you don't want to know it because sin lies in the door sin is more glamorous to you sin is more actively engaged in by you and you enjoy it more because that which may be known of God by the creation as you look around it and God has shown it unto us and so that we are without excuse as you look around the creation we see powers God had in power we see that he made all things by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good we know that this universe came into being by that power by that creative fiat his creative word God said let there be And from that came all that we see in the creation today. See, that's what happens when God gives us over to a corrupt mind. He hardens the heart. The more the heart is hardened, the more we hold down the truth in unrighteousness. And the more we give ourselves over to sinful practices, and the more we not only indulge in them, the more we enjoy them. No one says sin is not enjoyable. People wouldn't engage in sin if it wasn't enjoyable in the first instance anyway. But sin is a very hard master. Sooner becomes the fact that sin cannot not be engaged in because you cannot do without it. Same applies to like alcohol or, or hard drugs. You cannot live without it. Sin is exactly the same process. There comes a time when you cannot live without it. The wor- the, you go from bad to worse. is what I'm trying to say. The more you engage in something, the more you want it. The more you practice it. And that's why the heart becomes hardened. What makes us then reject God? Reject is truth. Well, it's nothing less than a hatred of God. A hatred of God which says, do not. Do not kill, do not steal, do not covet, do not commit adultery. Do not bear false witness. We hate God because God meets us there at the very point where we want to do these things and he says, don't do it. Almost all of God's attributes, which the Catechism tells us is His being, His wisdom, His holiness, His power, justice, goodness, and truth. All these are an offense to the human heart. God's goodness is an offense to us. God's truth is an offense to us. His holiness is an offense to us and instead of producing repentance in us and a desire for mercy and forgiveness it hardens the heart it it suppresses more and more the knowledge of god and a deeper and deeper descent into sin if you were to ask why is the western world with all its riches with all its advantages, all its privileges, why has it descended into such a state of sin and greed and hatred and and bestiality? Why? When the example of of purity and holiness is so clear to us, why have we chosen the opposite and gone in exactly the the opposite direction? What we have to say is that people love sin. No other reason. Sin is more attractive, as I said. Sin is more exciting. It's also against God and his precepts. But in the first analysis, sin is attractive and exciting to the heart that has not been brought to a saving knowledge of Christ. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. When the Lord came preaching the kingdom of God, as I said, these parables are all about the kingdom of God and God's right to rule over the hearts and minds of men and women, the people, especially the scribes and the Pharisees, the rulers of the church didn't want it. They rejected it. The Lord's teaching went totally against their precepts and their ideas of what it meant to please God. In the same way as the world today. The world thinks it can please God by, by giving him a small corner of our lives, to give pay lip service to what he is and, and what he has said. To take <coughs> parts out of the Bible that, that they think attractive and discard the rest. People don't want the gospel. They don't want the, yes, they want the gospel which says, come to heaven. But they don't want to hear the part of the gospel that says if you don't live as I ask you to live and no one give your heart to me there's a hell for those who reject me. That's Christ's message time and time again. If you go right back to the beginning Adam was created perfect. He and Eve walked in the garden in the cool of the day in fellowship with God he enjoyed their company and they enjoyed his but Adam came to the place where he wanted to reject God's advice to him also you may eat of all the trees of the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil he even had access to the tree of life didn't want that. He wanted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He had knowledge of good. But he was tempted to discover what evil was. And so he knew experimentally in his own self what evil was, and that evil was disobedience to God and his laws. It's all there in its 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 seed form. In that first disobedience, it was good to look at, it was good to eat, and it was desirable to make one wise. And so it is for all of us, a knowledge that will separate us from God. And so Adam, at the suggestion of the devil, rebelled against God and fell from his first attempt, carrying his whole human nature or human nature with him, and also all of human nature that followed him. We told Adam in his first transgression rebelled against God that all mankind by the fall lost communion with god and that adam by his first transgression lost that sense of fellowship and joy and engagement with god because he separated himself and because he was the covenant head he took all of us with him in his first estate He was holy and harmless and undefiled but in the moment that he rebels against God he falls and he is made liable to all the mysteries of this life and uh, to hell itself the reasons for rejecting the gospel are the same today we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ we believe that he died sinners. But we don't want to give our lives to him. We know the truth of, of the gospel as is contained here in the scriptures. We know the wonder of Christ. The God man coming to this earth. And giving his life a ransom for the many. But it means absolutely nothing to us. It evokes no emotion in us. That the innocent son of God comes to this world. Lays down his life. And we pass by on the other side, as Jeremiah says, have you ever seen such suffering as my suffering? Any heartache as my heartache? And yet it means nothing to us. We pass by on the other side, and we carry on living the life that we've always lived. And so, Adam sinned not only for himself, But for his posterity, all mankind that followed him. And so uh, we are made inheritors of the fallen human nature that he achieved for himself. And so that's the human hearts is hardened. Hardened because of the nature we have. Hardened because of the practices we engage in. Hardened because we love sin. Hardened because we hate God. The second type of soil here we're told about is that um, some seeds fell along rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. The seed falling on rocky ground where it had not much soil or stony ground where it had not much soil springs up too quickly and it springs up quickly and doesn't have time to develop any root form or or root bundle down into the earth when the sun comes up they're scorched and they wither away very often in those who are in charismatic churches or sometimes even in evangelical churches where there is an excitement built up in the church, where there is great excitement in the church, there is, there is much excitement in the, in the things to do, much excitement in, in being engaged in the fellowship, and people join the fellowship, and very often it's a fellowship that draws them, not Christ. And when things get difficult because of the word, when the excitement is not enough to keep away the the separation from friends who are at odds with the gospel when persecutions come as as the Lord tells us here and having no root in himself he endures for a while but when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word immediately he falls away, they wither The, the, the little faith that they have withers away and they go back to the state from which they came They hear the gospel and they receive it with joy. They make a profession of faith. But when trials and persecution, perhaps illness or unemployment or death of a loved one happens, they fall away. They blame God. They turn against God because they never really trusted in God, were never really born again. And then the third type of soil that the Lord talks about. As the what was sown among thorns, this is the one that hears the word, but the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves to be unfruitful. The third type of soil is a, a soil that speaks really of a heart that's strangled by the world in which we live oh as the Lord says the deceitfulness of riches and the world cares Spurgeon talks about it as the trinity of cares what we shall eat and what we shall drink and what we shall put on each and every one of us is tainted with such cares Uh, we all have to be very careful we don't allow ourselves to be submerged by such cares and deceitfulness of riches and to remember whose we are and whom we seek to serve how many of our lives are not choked and by riches today we have to remember what the Lord says how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God if we think of ourselves as ordinary people today We are very mistaken. We're all rich beyond the imagination of our forebears. Live in homes which are carpeted have central heating, glass in their windows, tiles on the roof, not houses where there's soil on the floor and the walls are built with stone and earth And the roof has soil or grass sods on on the roof and there's no central heating and it's cold as one fire. We have every advantage. We have wash machines where they had to wash by hand. We drive cars where they had perhaps to walk or go by cart. You have clothes which are beyond their imagination. We are all extremely rich don't have to look back 2,000 years to the time of Christ. We only have to look back on this island to 50, 60 years to know the difference of the lifestyles which we live today to which was lived by your forebears. You know, a certain rich young ruler was offered eternity but chose Riches instead. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And he went away sad because he had many riches. He was offered heaven, but he preferred this world and its rewards. a man called Jim Elliot who was a missionary to the Indians in South America is reputed to have said, in fact he wrote that he could not he gave up what he could not keep in exchange for that which he could not lose he gave up life and self here in this world for the heaven that was his in Christ Jesus. How much more are we to guard against being choked with riches? Perhaps he gives us our heart's desire, whatever they might be, and sends leanness to our souls. There's this too about riches. They don't choke a person all at once. It's like a wall that's been standing for decades and one day it falls. On the way out of Stornoway on the, on the Harris Road there's the old castle wall that's, that's there just after Marybank Van Garage on the left hand side going out and there is a wall that's got a big hole in it. The lintel is still there, somehow it's still standing, I suppose the weight of the stones are keeping it upright, but it's a wall that's on its way down. You've seen many dry stone walls collapse, sure, in your area around here, there are many stones on the west side, and that's the way it riches, like riches, little by riches, like a wall falling down or by ivy growing over the wall it eventually covers the whole wall or the, or the wall falls down and so the parable of the rich man and Lazarus and the rich fool are there for our profit let's not waste them let's not put it off till later prevarication is the greatest enemy of our souls to think that something we need to do today can be done later only got to think about what happened less than 48 hours ago to know that times things can change very very suddenly and then finally here we have the good ground as the what was sown on good soil this is the one that hears the word and understands it Part of our problem, I suppose, is that we don't try to understand God's Word. We come to church, little folding of the arms, little closing of the eyes, and a little sleep. Even under God's Word, we don't try to understand. We don't engage our brains into what God's Word is saying. And that's the problem. We don't try to understand it. The Lord on one occasion later in this chapter in fact says, Do you understand what I said? And the disciple says, Yes. Well, I suppose the question has to be asked here. Do we understand what's being said here in this parable? This parable which is about the origin of the kingdom. Do we understand what the Lord is saying? Well, just finally and briefly, there's the good ground. The Lord has improved it. The Lord has manured it. The Lord has worked it. The Lord has dug it over so that it will bring forth some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. It's important for us to know it's the Lord's doing, it's not something we can do to ourselves by our own ingenuity, by our own labor, by our own striving for more understanding. Yes, we have to strive for understanding. We've got to engage ourselves in God's word. We've got to submerge ourselves in God's word. But the change in our heart is not something that we can do. We we can do a preparation for the work of God. You know, when revival comes to an area... Revival begins in the house of God. It spreads out there and it begins in the house of God because in the house of God, people have been prepared. By the preaching of God's word, they place themselves under the sound of the gospel and when the spirit comes in power, he uses that accumulated knowledge to bring into flower, to bloom what has been growing quietly and silently. And so it's important for us to know that the change occurs because of what the Lord has done. The seed is always good seed. The soil, the heart, has to be changed. And only Christ can do that. He changes it. He gives us a new heart. He writes his laws in our hearts. He puts his spirit within us. He gives us fleshly hearts for stony hearts. All this are miracles of God's doing in us. When any person is brought from death to life, it's a miracle. When any person is translated from the kingdom of God, from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God, it's a miracle. And miracles are happening all the time. Think of the rich young ruler who went away sad and the disciples who said who then can be saved well we can say with God all things are possible because it's he who works it's he who makes new it is he who gives us the desire for himself we love God because he first loved us gave his son to be a saviour for us. Let us then conclude our worship singing to God's praise in Psalm 19. Psalm 19 to verse 7. God's law is perfect and converts the soul in sin that lies. At the end of verse 11, that's five stanzas to God's praise. Psalm 19, page 223, and verse 7, for God's praise. The and peace. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, who rest on you and abide in you now and always.